The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the news team at LinkedIn, this is Hello Monday. It's our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. Every so often, I stop to reflect, to look back. I think it's part of what it means to be middle-aged, actually. Life goes by so fast, and the next thing you know, you're like today's guest, watching your daughter accept her diploma. I'm at this college graduation, and I'm having this kind of -of out-of-body experience where I can't believe this kid is 22 and graduating because she was just born. But then even more important, perhaps, is that I can't imagine that, how did I have a kid graduating from college? Because I'm like, I just graduated from college myself like five years ago. That's Daniel Pink, and he's being sarcastic. You've heard Dan on the show before. He's written a bunch of thoughtful business books, and I love a good conversation with him. And so I know he won't mind me telling you that he's not a recent college grad by a long shot. But watching his own daughter graduate made him think about all the things that he hadn't done. Like, oh, I wish I had worked harder. I wish I had taken more risks. I wish I had been, you know, a little kinder to people. Regrets. Dan started talking about this with his friends, and it didn't take him long to learn that nearly everyone has regrets. And it's easy to think these feelings are bad, that we want to have as few of them as possible. But Dan's come to another conclusion. He's just finished a book on it, actually. It's called The Power of Regret. Dan says regrets are tools. They can show us all kinds of things that can help us live better. Here's Dan. Well, the first thing we should understand is that everybody has regrets, okay? Somehow, regret is one of those things where we think that, oh, we shouldn't have any. We, they should be avoided at all costs. We should never look backward. And that's just nuts. Uh, what the yeah. research tells us is that everybody has regrets, truly, truly. The only people without regrets are five-year-olds and people with brain damage and sociopaths. The rest of us have regrets. And when the psychologists, uh, other kinds of social scientists have looked at it, they said, well, regret is, it's a lovely phrase, part of our cognitive machinery. And you say, well, why is that? And the reason is regrets can be useful. In fact, in my view, regrets can be transformative if we treat them right, because regrets give us information. Regrets instruct, they clarify. And so to me, it's like if we rethink our relationship with regret and we sort of reclaim this negative emotion, it's going to give us clues about how to live better, how to work better, you know, just how to be better. So when we're thinking about regret, that's a huge umbrella term, regret, right? There are so many different types of regret. Like how, how do you think about or classify regret? So regret is an emotion and it's a, it's a negative emotion. It is an e- aversive emotion. It hurts. It stinks. Um, and so it's that kind of stomach churning feeling when you look backward that, oh, things would be better today if only I hadn't made that decision, taken that choice, not made that decision, not made that choice. And, and so, so I think of it as something that by its very nature, it feels bad. And one reason it feels bad is that it's largely your fault, that regret requires yeah. some kind of agency. And so it's understandable that we would want to say, oh my God, this feels terrible. I don't want to deal with this. Um, but in fact, if we approach it differently, it ends up being incredibly instructive. Okay. I get that regret can teach us. But when I regret stuff, I feel bad. 
like I'm scolding myself, and that doesn't make me very willing to listen. And it turns out that I'm not alone there. Dan says there are two extremes when it comes to regret. One extreme is the no regrets philosophy to say, I never look backward. I never think about mistakes. I don't have any regrets. That's foolish. That leads to delusion. But there's another view where you say, I only blame myself. I'm a terrible person. I always screw up. And you end up spinning and wallowing and ruminating. That's not a good idea. What you have to do is you have to say, regrets are giving me information. It's a signal from the world about my choices and about how I can do better. And when we're open to that signal, there's a pile of research showing that it helps us a huge amount. It helps us make better decisions. It helps us solve problems faster. There's some evidence that it helps senior business leaders become better strategists. It helps us achieve greater meaning in our lives. Okay, so maybe this is a bit of a diversion, but I'm just personally curious. What does it mean about the set of thoughts you had as you watched your 22-year-old complete her college journey? And this is, it's an interesting point because I think about this book. I've been writing books for 20 years. I would not have written this book in my 30s. I didn't have enough mileage on me. Um, in my 50s, it felt kind of inevitable because I had room to look back. So here I am at a marker in time where I think all of us would look back. And when I look back, like so many of us, I look back with some regret. I mean, I'm proud of my daughter. I'm proud that we got her out of the house. I'm proud that, you know, we have an intact family and all that sort of stuff. But when I look backward, I said, God, you know, college is a pretty amazing experience. And I sort of blew part of it by, you know, not taking enough chances and not being bold enough and and not in some level, certain ports working hard enough. And also just one of the things that really bugged me was for, for years now, uh, regrets about not being kind enough to people. And, hmm. and I think that I think what it, what it told me there is that it's sort of a signal saying, wait a second, you're at this point in your life where you have, as I said before, you have some mileage behind you, but you also have plenty of mileage ahead of you. And dude, like, pay attention to what these regrets are telling you, because it's going to help chart your way for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You know, it's funny. There are these collective regrets that we all have that we pass down, yet we don't seem to learn from. Hmm. They're almost cliches, right? Like one would be the older person who says to the younger person, I regret that I worked so hard in my youth. In fact, I think I took that directly from your book at some point. How come we can't collectively learn from these regrets? For some people, regret is personal. Sometimes those lessons are a little bit like the Charlie Brown adults, like, you know, and what we have to do is we have to experience it ourselves. And the problem with the no regrets philosophy is that it delays our capacity to experience that and learn from that until we get to that point that you're saying where you're in the rocking chair and you're 85 years old and you got a little grandchild there with nothing to do. And suddenly you're transmitting life lessons. What I want to suggest is that we it's something that we should reflect on throughout our lives because it gives us clues for the rest of our lives. And maybe um, I also take from that um, that the lessons to be learned from regret are, for the most part, personal lessons. So I can't necessarily learn very much or not in the same way from, say, my grandparents' regret nor is your 22-year-old daughter about to learn very much about uh, her life based on your regret. Yeah, I think that I think you can learn something, but I think yeah. that you can't learn it as robustly. And, and maybe there's an analogy here, Jesse, but to me, it's a little bit like 
like learning a language, learning another language. You can go and you can you can take French classes in high school and you can learn a little bit of French. Right. That's the, the yep. grandpa in the rocking chair. Or you can go to France and live in a, a tiny town and try to make your way. Then you really yep. learn how to speak French. I think there are different ways of learning, but there's a depth of learning that we can derive from our experiences. Um, And that learning can be absolutely informed by the experiences of other people in much the same way for for me writing this book where I, you know, collected so many regrets and talked to so many people with regrets that their experience in some ways inform my own experience in part because they normalized it. I said, well, wait a second. I'm not the only one who has regrets about kindness. I'm not the only one who has regrets about not being bold enough. I'm not the only one who regrets drifting apart from friends. Once Dan realized he was onto something with this idea, he decided to research it. He didn't want anecdotal evidence. He needed data, and that took people. He did a big survey, and then he started collecting actual regrets. He called it the World Regrets Survey. (laughs) Isn't that a great name? He collected 16,000 of these regrets, from people in 105 countries, and he realized that his thinking was off. Not only that, other researchers' thinking was off. I was trying to crack the code in this quantitative survey of what people regret. So I asked people their regrets, and I had them put them into categories. Career, family, health, romance, blah, blah, blah. And what I found was, like, people regret a lot of stuff. They're all, it's all over the place, okay? And, and that's actually what other researchers have found, too. But then what happened is that I started looking at these 16,000 regrets from around the world and just really reading them, taking a qualitative approach, reading them over and over and over again, page after page after page on, this, on the screen here. And what I discovered is that over and over and over again around the world, people had the same four regrets. Among people who went to college in the United States, huge numbers of people regret not studying abroad. I was I was really surprised by that. I, I, I said, really, I, mean, I was surprised at how prominent that was as a regret. I uh, deeply regret that. Do you really you saying that makes me feel seen? In fact, even a little <laughs> bit awkward. <laughs> well, you know what? OK, so here you go. So if so, if this writing and journalism thing doesn't work out for us, then we have a business to start because there is there, a, there is. I'm telling you, there is a business out there where you start a travel agency targeted to people who regret not studying abroad when they were in college. I'm telling you, that would totally win. Um, Completely. um, Completely. So so you have that. So that's an education regret, right? But then I have lots of people who regret. It's kind of amazing in that if you get enough of these things, you see not only the same theme, but sometimes the same exact words over and over again. And so I have this one regret in these 16,000 that has the same formulation. It's like X years ago, I met a man slash woman whom I really liked. I wanted to ask him her out, but I was too chicken to, and I've regretted it ever since. All right. So that's a romance regret. Right. And then I have a lot of people saying, oh, if only I had left this lackluster job and started my own business like I really wanted to. All right. So that's a career regret. But to my mind, those are all the same regret. Deep down, they're all the same regret. They're the, they're, it's a regret that says, if only I'd taken the chance, if only I'd taken the chance and studied abroad, if only I'd taken the chance and asked him out, if only I'd taken the chance and launched that that business. And what I found is that one of these four categories are these are these regrets about boldness. Um, and mm-hmm. that tells us, I think, something really interesting and I think kind of heartening about who we are as human beings. 
um, that we want to do something, right? We want to learn. We want to grow. We want to lead psychologically rich lives. And so these four core regrets that I detected, I think, tell us at some level what makes life worth living. Um, that they operate as a photographic negative of the good life. That is, if we understand what people regret the most, we understand what they value the most. And, and that took me to a place in this research that I didn't expect. I was trying to crack the code of what regret was and why it mattered. And what I discovered, to my surprise, was that if we understand regret well enough, we understand what makes life worth living. That is beautiful and particularly important as we plow into this the third year here of the pandemic when that question feels so front and center like what are we doing here right i hear you i think that that a lot of us have used this time to reflect and during this time when we're reflecting i think a lot of us have come to the conclusion that wait a second i'm not sure this is exactly the life i want to be leading and i think that's spurring a lot of this great resignation i think it's spurring a lot of this people getting up and moving. I think it's spurring a lot of these reevaluations of our, the course of our lives. And, and, and some of it is people had a chance to reflect on some of their regrets. So that that first aspect, um, if you flip it, right, like that, that aspect is about regretting not having taken a chance. And so if you flip it and you say, well, then what makes life valuable? Then one aspect of making life valuable then is like pushing yourself to take risks I think you said that really well. I have relatively few people who said, I took a risk and I really regret taking the risk. Um, there are a few people who did that, but very, very few. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, Dan explains more about what the four regrets have to show us about how to live a good life. So stick around. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Daniel Pink. As Dan researched his new book on regret, he uncovered four core regrets that shape our lives. Right before the break, we talked about boldness regrets, regretting a lack of taking chances. So here's the next one, foundation regrets. Not working hard enough in school in some cases. People who regret not saving money, I have a lot of regrets about that. People who regret uh, certain health-related things, like, oh, I wish I had, especially around the world, smoking was a big issue. 
um, th those kinds of things. And so basically, it's a set of small choices you made. Each individual one doesn't matter all that much, but cumulatively, they lead to bad outcomes later on. And, and what that suggests to us, which I think sometimes goes overlooked as we talk so much about following or bliss and all that sort of stuff is that people also need stability that we, we need a, like a stable platform for our lives. So that's a big part of what a good life is. It has to have some stability. If you're precarious, it's, it's hard to, to, to have a life that feels great. Dan says this next category is small, but man, is it powerful. Moral regrets, which is where people are at a juncture as most of these regrets begin. You can do the right thing. You can do the wrong thing and people do the wrong thing and they regret it. Um, big category here is bullying. I was stunned at how many people had regrets about about bullying. I had a, a 50 year old woman who I was talking to who was telling the story about how she was cruel to another kid. I think she was like eight or nine years old and she's in tears. This is wow. 40 years later. You know, Dan, I got to tell you, you saying that I I recently heard from a woman who I went to middle school with who was very mean to me in middle school. She was very mean. I haven't thought about that since middle school. We are in our 40s. She has carried that all this time and felt the need in her 40s to get in touch with me and apologize. So imagine the impact of that regret. It didn't really hurt me at all. Maybe it shaped my character in a good way because it made me kind of resilient. Okay. Me, right? How did you um, respond to her? Well, I gave her absolution, but the thing about it <laughs> always, right, is that it doesn't matter. What you think you need from the other person is it's never really relevant. Interesting. Right? Interesting. The absolution came from herself, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting. Now, here's the thing, Jesse. I think that these moral regrets are actually heartening, all right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's possible to look at these moral regrets and say, oh, my God, people are terrible. They're cheating on their spouses. They are they're bullying kids. They are swindling business partners. And I look at it and say, wait a second. You have your former classmate who... 30 years later, is yeah. still haunted by this. Um, I have a woman in the book who, who is a 71-year-old woman in New Jersey who talked about her regret about being sent to a small grocery store as a 10-year-old and stealing candy from the grocery store. And she says, 60 years later, it still bothers me. I think this is actually heartening in the sense that the fact that people are bothered by this to me suggests that most of us want to be good. I really yeah. actually believe that. And most of us, not everybody, but most of us want to be good. And when we when we do the wrong thing, we suffer in some level. And what this suggests is that part of a good life is being good. I, I really believe that. That is that you you can be if you're bold and not good. It, I think it's an unsatisfying life. Uh, but if you're yeah. bold and you're good, I think you're beginning to form a life of wholeness and meaning and significance. We're up to our last category of regret, disconnection and connection regrets. And unlike moral regrets, Dan tells us this category, it's huge. These are regrets about relationships. Mm. And what's interesting to me, at least, is how much I feel like sort of in the popular culture and the way we write about things is that we... We spend a little too much time talking about romantic relationships, the relationships we have with our with our spouses and our lovers and our romantic partners, and too little time talking about other kinds of relationships. And that's what people talked about. Parents and children, yeah. siblings, yeah. relatives, friends, friends. And these connection regrets are you have a relationship that should have been intact or was intact, 
and it comes apart. And the way a lot of these relationships have come apart is deeply undramatic in many cases. They just kind of drift. And oh, I should reach out. No, it's going to be awkward to reach out and they're not going to care. And we come apart. And so I think that connection regrets show us that what's fundamental here, that this photographic negative of the good life that regret yields, is that what do we want? We want affinity. We want love. And love beyond the romantic sense. I mean, that's important. Romantic love, sexual love, obviously hugely important in people's lives. But it's the love we have for our kids, our parents, our siblings, and our friends that actually gives that kind of wholeness to life. Yeah, I I love that. I mean, it, and it has to do with really that that sort of crucial moment when um, when you can step toward or away from something or someone, and it's always easier to step away. It's always easier to not make the call, to not even let yourself think about it. Um, and like you said, usually for reasons that um, are not so dramatic, just because, because and I don't know, there's a two-year pandemic and you don't leave your house for two years. But I have to say, for me personally, you know, the immersive experience of writing a book, I think, changes you. So the person you are when you start writing a book and the person you are when you're done writing a book, I think, are in some ways are different people. And I think that was sort of true for me, especially on these connection regrets, because I saw myself in a lot of these stories and a lot of these regrets that people had. Because, again, the, the, the basic narrative was very similar. You got a relationship. It comes apart. Undramatically. Drift. I'm, I, 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 should, I should reach out. No, it's going to be really awkward. And they're not going to care. And we're wrong about both. When people do it, it's way less awkward than they think. And the other right. side always cares. So for me, a meta takeaway from this, for myself, my own life, is that if I am at a juncture where I'm thinking about another person and I say, uh, should I reach out or should I not reach out? I've answered the question. The fact that I'm even contemplating it suggests the answer. And to me, it's like the lesson of this is always reach out, always reach out. I'll tell you something else that bugs me, Jesse, now that we're having this nice therapy session, that I really did see myself in a lot of these regrets. So there were a fair number of regrets about funerals and missed funerals. My Uncle George had a funeral and I was too busy, didn't go. My college mentor had a funeral and I was too busy and didn't go. And it really bugs people. And it made me think about a funeral here in Washington, D.C., where a guy who I, I worked with years ago he died and it was you know, very sad. And I wasn't like super close to him, but I liked him and I worked with him and I knew him and he was another human being. And his funeral was literally walking distance from my house. And on the day of his funeral, I think I was on deadline or I was busy and I was like, I was planning to go and I didn't go. And it still bugs me. Carried forward a bit. I feel like the, the meta lesson there is to show up, right? I mean- you're talking about funerals, but in a way, yeah. whenever anything significant happens in the life of anyone that you know, you have that awkward moment when you think, oh, do I say something? And just as your earlier rule was, if you're asking the question, then you've answered it. Same. If you're asking the question, you've answered it. If there's a place to go, then go there. If there's a thing to say, then say it. And all that is probably a moot point because the truth is we know that we need to collect regrets in order to live a meaningful life. So likely we will be meditating on that after the fact and regretting having not said something. But if we extract a lesson from it, we can avoid that blunder again. That is, we have to endure the pain in order to go forward on that. But right. again, Jesse, you're, you're totally spot on here. I have so many regrets about on two dimensions here in this database of 
people who said, I wish I had, I mean, it, it's, it's, it seems a little cliche, a little hallmarky, but people who said, oh, I wish I had told my parents that I love them before they passed yeah. away. Um, I wish I had told my brother that I loved him before uh, I passed away. Um, but the other thing, which is interesting, sort of beyond the realm of relationships, is I have huge numbers of regrets about people in general who regret not speaking up, not saying mm-hmm. something. And it's not only not saying something kind and caring to another person, but it's about being in at work and sharing your idea, seeing something that's wrong and saying something about it. The converse of that, very few people regret, oh, I, I, I wish I hadn't been so outspoken. I wish I hadn't pointed out an injustice. I wish I hadn't shared my idea. No one says that. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Although that's so hard. I mean, the, the the conflict interface with another person, calling them out, that's, that is that is challenging. You know, with, with masks and wearing masks in social situations, you know, I the place that I would get the most hung up would be when a good friend, somebody I had a warm relationship with said, oh, we're not going to have masks. And in my family, we, we always wear masks. If it's a stranger, if it's somebody that I know in a work capacity, no problem. If it's somebody that I love and live with, no problem. But that middle distance, yeah. it's, it's hard. Uh, very, very but. interesting. And, and I do think that there's something to be said for picking your fights. I think that's an important yeah. life lesson. But also when we think about our regrets, you know, when we anticipate our regrets, I don't want people to go crazy and try to avoid every regret because there are a lot of regrets that we have. If you're making a decision, it's like, oh, uh, you know, let's 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 use one of Dan's like decision making heuristics and 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 go forward in time and look backward on this decision to see what you're going to regret. Like, I think that's cool for certain things, but it's like, you know, should I get a blue car or a gray car? It doesn't matter. Okay, yeah. it truly doesn't matter. Should I have macaroni and cheese for dinner tonight or should i have a hamburger for dinner tonight it doesn't matter in 10 days 10 weeks 10 years it's not going to matter what is going to matter is exactly what you said did i say something to someone i cared about did i do the right thing did i take that smart risk and did i you know create some stability for myself and for my family that matters before we ended this conversation i asked dan about the book what he hoped for it and really what he hoped for people in general when it comes to regrets what I want to try to do is is normalize regret, reclaim it as an indispensable emotion, not as not as something that we should avoid. But I also want to really encourage people to treat themselves more kindly, recognize that you have regrets. We all have regrets as part of the human condition. I want to encourage people to disclose their regrets. Mm-hmm. Disclosure is valuable. It lifts the burden. The other thing that it does is that it takes these blobby, amorphous, negative emotions and, by, and converts them into words which are less fearsome and begin the sense-making process. And then what's more is that we know from 30 years of behavioral science that when we disclose our weaknesses and failures and vulnerabilities, people don't like us less. They like us more. Mm-hmm. They respect us. And then the final thing that I want people to do is like get a lesson from it. You know, Take a step back and say, what did this teach me? What did this teach me? Feelings are for thinking. Feelings tell us something. Think about them, use them as a path forward. But if we have more people talking about their regrets, if more people trying to learn from their regrets, I think that we're going to have more people who are leading healthier, fulfilling, satisfying lives. That was Daniel Pink, researcher and author of the brand new book, The Power of Regret. Check it out. And this week on Office Hours, we're going to talk about regret. 
So listeners, now that you're armed with knowledge about the four core regrets, as Dan Pink describes them, I want us all to talk about it together. Be brave here, be bold, identify one of your regrets, one that you're willing to share with us. And then let's talk about the lessons you want to take into the future. You can join us this Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on the LinkedIn news page. Sarah and I will go first. We love to hear from you. And speaking of loving to hear from you, you know, once a month or so, I like to share a review on the show. If it's yours, please drop us a line at hellomonday at linkedin.com and let's you and I hop on the phone. I'd love to get to know you a bit more. Here's our producer. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jesse. Okay, so what have you got for us? We got a great review from Shrek Daddy, and I'm going to just read a few pieces. They say, Hello Monday is delightful, full of insight, and informative on various levels. I enjoyed this show so much, I shared it with my entire team. Might even make some episodes mandatory to listen to. Wow, Shrek Daddy. (laughs) And I love that name. Look, we appreciate that, and we also would love to know which episodes resonated with you so strongly. Anyhow, drop me a line at hellomonday at linkedin.com. Let's chat. Reviews help us reach more listeners, and they connect us to one another. So please take a moment to pop open your podcast app and review us today. You might even hear your review on a future episode. Okay, Sarah, will you take us home? Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn News. I produced this episode with help from Michelle O'Brien, Derek Carl, and Taisha Henry. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriondo is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Michaela Greer, Victoria Taylor, and Ginny Choi always learn from their regrets. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm your host, Jesse Hempel. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks so much for listening. I'm glad you don't have to leave your messy house because, you know, that gives you more time to clean it up. Uh, that is true. Although if you knew my children, you would actually hope for me that I could sometimes leave. Like this is a house <laughs> arrest to which I am not like hope, hoping to aspire to forever. I will See, I'm at, a, I'm at a different stage of life in that, um, <laughs> you know, I'm working here in my garage. So it's separate from my house. But also my wife and I became empty nesters. So uh, I, I'm, I, I got I got the kids out of the house. But I remember those days, man. Nice work.